WMQA. Hello and welcome to WMQA, the podcast where two best friends talk about comics with the people who make them. I'm Dan Grote. And I'm Matt Lazowitz. And this week's guests are the creators of the new comic, The Sickness, Lonnie Nadler and Jenna Cha. Welcome. Hello. Hi, thank you. Yeah, thank, thank you, you for you. pronouncing both of our both names of our... correctly. <laughs> Yeah. That's a honest. That's a first. Yeah, it's a first. Oh, good for me. Oh man, <laughs> we're one and zero. We we are oh. batting a thousand tonight. That is that is wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> so, you you two are, are are partners in comics, partners in life. What is the weirdest gift one of you has given the other? That's a good. question. Oh my god, we give each other weird gifts. We give her constantly. yeah, like it's not. <laughs> it's weird if we give each other something normal yeah. <laughs> like. <laughs> okay so re- okay the gift i gave lonnie this gift like what a week ago yeah it was or, my birthday yeah it was kind of ago. a it was kind of a late birthday gift um so we we play magic the gathering and um if you don't know like if you're not familiar with with card games you can buy um sleeves for your cards to kind of protect them and it's easier to shuffle and stuff and one of the most popular brands of sleeves allows you to make custom s- sleeves. Like you can upload your own picture um, on the sleeves. And so I print, I got Lonnie custom sleeves with um, the hot dog eating champion of the world. His name is Joey Chestnut. <laughs> and it's, it's a picture of Joey Chestnut, like mid swallow. And it's probably the most like viscerally disgusting picture you can find on the internet and I gave it to Lonnie and he loved it. <laughs> so. and, and this is uh the image is also something that I once drew. Yeah. Uh, and I posted it on Instagram. So it's like, it's my it's favorite special. image of him. And I love hot dog eating contests. Lonnie idolizes this guy. Yeah. <laughs> like, like it's his like celebrity fan, like fandom. It's my figure. fan crush. Yeah. His fan crush. <laughs> Yeah, so that's just like one example of like the the most that's like the most recent gift I yeah. gave Lonnie. So, so there you go. I got to imagine sitting across the table from that with those held in the hand. That exactly. is exactly it's psyching yeah. out your opponent. Exactly right. 100%. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. You you lose you lose like your train of thought every turn. <laughs> yeah. It's gonna throw people on game night. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man, see, I, I did not know that you could do this. And I'm trying to. So my son collects Pokemon cards and he uses the sleeves that come in the boxes and everything. And I'm wondering what kind of weird shit. Oh, totally. Dragon. <laughs> you got it now. Dragon Shield. DragonShield.com. Dragon Shield is the brand and the website. You can just hashtag do not it. sponsored. Hashtag, yeah, we're not sponsored. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're, the, your dogs. You know, you, you, Put dogs on the sleeves. Exactly. Yeah. No, that yeah. That, oh, that makes sense. Yes. There we go. Just dozens and dozens of pictures of my dog Lola with her tongue out, looking so sweet and it's so stupid. Just that would put be amazing. Just put your just put your face on the sleeves. <laughs> just yeah. Remember who? Yeah, but see, they're not going to be facing Logan. They're going to be they're going to be facing the his opponent. Well, you know what? It still works. It still works. I'm overthinking this. <laughs> oh man so jenna you're a first-time guest on the show so we'll ask you the first-time guest question uh what are some of the first comics that you remember reading the first comics i ever read were all calvin and Hobbes. um nice i had i had like an affinity for for calvin and Hobbes for 
years like like an obsession like it was like you know the one source of comfort that I like could always find myself in and out of out of that I um grew an affinity for uh just newspaper comics um this is all like you know uh mostly childhood stuff and it wasn't until 2003 is when Sam Raimi's Spider-Man came out that's when I started getting into superhero comics um and uh from there like my understanding of what comics can be kind of expanded and expanded but the most early like my early love for comics was almost exclusively uh newspaper strips which I find funny because my work now is like could not be more different <laughs> you know than than like cute nice like you know happy classic cartoon yeah yeah like like uh you know the nice wholesomeness that you that you can find comfort in Calvin and Hobbes. That's something that I wish I can I can achieve, but I don't know. I don't know if I can at this point. So uh, you're here to talk about the sickness, which is uh, your new comic from Uncivilized Comics, uh, lettered by Hassan Osman El How, uh, in stores now. As you're listening to this, uh, Matt, do do your thing. The floor is yours. 1945. Daniel Buss, an anxious teenager living in a small town America, has been experiencing strange symptoms, mood swings, increased sensitivity, and terrifying hallucinations, threatening to ruin his summer vacation before freshman year. Worse, a stalking presence watches Daniel's every move. 1955, George Brooks, war vet and tireless doctor, nears retirement from his decorated past. When a local housewife murders her entire family, her son, the sole survivor, is put into his care. George grows obsessed with uncovering what could have driven an ordinary person to such brutality. Though they live a decade apart, their fates intertwine through a horrifying illness and the haunting figure who follows wherever they go. So what is the origin of this project? Okay, well, first I gotta say, like, Matt, we gotta get you to like narrate a trailer for us. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> that was good that shit. Was, that was on point, yeah. I was like, damn, what is this? This is riveting. <laughs> yeah, I was like, damn, who wrote this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, this sounds cool. Yeah. At, at some point in the history of the show, Matt giving dramatic readings of the solicit copy that's given to Diamond has become a standard a thing yeah <laughs> especially uh, yeah. the horror I, I stuff so i uh i came up with the story of the sickness when i was in art school in uh around around 2016 um and the way i, I can never pinpoint exactly how any of my stories like start they just kind of they just kind of it's like a you know a zygote of an idea and then it just like you know flowers you know in the back of my mind until I just realize I have a story like I can never I never like sit down and decide I'm gonna make a I'm gonna I want to make a story about a virus in the 1950s I never like consciously do that um so the origin like I guess like you know the most like you know closest thing to an origin is that I, in 2000, around 2016, I gave myself um, 
a little kind of experiment where I tried to uh, disassociate while I doodled as much as I could. So like I I watched a lot of I watched like five movies a day, <laughs> um, like two to two to five movies a day for a month. I like, you know, tried to listen to a bunch of different music. I, um, you know, just tried to I, like audiobook. I, I just tried to do as much things as possible to um, kind of close my my brain off while I was while I was drawing stuff. Um, because I felt like at the time, you know, being in school, I was putting too much thought into what I did and I wasn't kind of being, you know, free flowy enough. Um, so I found that the thing that I doodled the most was this, uh, this man figure, um, kind of this like, you know, strapping typical, what you would, what we, what you would like call it stereotypical, uh, rendition of a, an old timey guy. Um, and for some reason I just became like, you know, uh, transfixed on like making this guy a, a thing <laughs> and I don't I don't know where I generally have like a, I've, I've have like a love for old movies and stuff for for a really long time so I think that's just where my brain wanted to go um, but after a while like I started inserting this man character in my short comics um, all of which were like scary and dreamlike um, also kind of had no a uh, real form or structure it was just kind of I just kind of made the comic you know in a in a freeform way um and that those kind of dreamy comics uh billowed and billowed and billowed until it it, it grew some legs and I kind of you know realized what the um what the life force for this story would be in, in that there's hallucinations and there ha they had those solution hallucinations had to have come from somewhere, blah, 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 blah. And then eventually it turned into the sickness. Um, so I had, I had this, this comic that uh, had a pretty solid, um, you know, direction and an idea of what I wanted the story to be. So in 2019, when I, signed on to do black stars above um it was like maybe a week after i signed the contract when i messaged lonnie and i was like hey do you want to do you want to write this comic that i made like i just like i wasted no time um and he immediately like i, I gave him the pitch and he immediately you know said yes he, he you know he liked the idea and lonnie brought it to like a whole other uh place of um he inserted a lot of formalism in the entire story like as a whole made a lot more sense in in you know in more ways than I could have uh come up with um and it really wasn't until he decided to um come on is when I realized that the story is uh like really like something that I really really wanted to commit myself to um and then thankfully he felt he felt the same way like it pretty quickly when we started developing it have you yet either of you yet reached the point where you want to punch people who when you tell them the name of the comic they immediately say oh like the disturbed song um i'll take this one <laughs> i will field this question uh 
I wanted to change the title from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. Jenna was very adamant that we not change the title. Yeah. Since it was her concept to begin with, I said, that's fine. Full well knowing that we would always be put side by side with the disturbed song. I get it. No, you so know, in I my get opinion, it, I think it's kind of funny and we made this bed for ourselves. Yeah. Jenna <laughs> does not find it very funny. Oh, well, I mean, so here's the thing. Um when I when I was in art school, I made the sickness as my my senior thesis, um, a short comic for my senior project. And so since 2017, I've been getting I got those jokes. Like I, you know, I got I got it, I got my round already when the fucking thing came out, you know, five years, six years ago now. So, you know, I understand you would find it funny, but from six years, you know. I think it's funny also because I just find the song funny. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, I mean, I'm kind of at the the point in like, you know, like the stages of grief where you just kind of have acceptance after, you know, your anger and your your anguish. I think I'm nearing the acceptance phase. Yeah. I'm at the stage where I want to buy a disturbed sickness yeah. t-shirt and Just wear cash that in. to conventions. <laughs> <laughs> Just total hucksters. Yeah. <laughs> pay, pay for a cameo to have uh, David Draymond promote the comic. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that would be amazing. I would 100% do that. The lead singer? Yeah, we got to look into I don't know. That. I don't know about that. No, I don't, I'm not going to so go that far. Funny. I fucking hate that guy. <laughs> I hate him. <laughs> uh, so how did uh, uncivilized comics enter the picture? There's a long answer and a short answer. And knowing me, I'll probably give the long answer. Um, obviously, I've been doing comics for a number of years now. And after working with so many different publishers, many of which um, take part of the IP rights when you sign the contract with them, with the sickness, because it was going to be so long and because it's something that's so close and important to both of us, we didn't want to enter a contract where we were giving up a lot of our rights. Mm-hmm. And that severely restricted the number of publishers that we could go to with the book. So we did send it to a couple other publishers before Uncivilized. Um, those publishers, uh, they liked the book, but the general consensus was or request was okay you pitched this as 14 issues can you do it in five and the answer was no (laughs) we pitched it as 14 issues because it's a 14 issue book if it was a five issue book i would have pitched it as five issues um which is a whole other story but then so so after uh it didn't work out with those two publishers um who did try to make it work to to their credit. Uh, We were just like, okay, we know Uncivilized. Uh, Jenna knows the publisher there, uh, Tom Kay. And from the very start, I was kind of like, why don't we just send it to Uncivilized? Like, you know, we like their work. We think this fits there. Uh, We know Tom would let us do whatever we want to do. And so finally Jenna was like, okay, let's send it to them. And I think in under a week, Tom got back to us and was like, yeah, let's do it. Mm-hmm. No questions about how long it was or anything. It was just like, let's make this work. Um, 
so you know obviously uncivilized is is um an, uh, a small independent publisher uh but with that comes the affordance of creative freedom and full ownership of the ip uh, which like i said is was really important for us um so yeah that's kind of how it worked out and um yeah like we're very happy with how it's gone so far uh, i know there's a lot of talk recently in the industries of publishers screwing people over and stuff like that um and so far there, there's not really a sign of that uh knock on wood um, <laughs> but you know it, it's like tom himself is a he's a cartoonist and he makes books and so I, I think he understands and knows better than most people the struggle of comics after having been doing it for 20 30 years at this point you meant you mentioned 14 issues how, how does that how does that break down in terms of collecting it or is that not a road you're at yet nope we, we've definitely talked about that with the publisher so uh currently it's going to be three arcs uh, the reason we haven't talked about it much is because I, I think uh, in recent years, arcs in comics are almost like individual where you don't have to necessarily, like you can kind of jump in at any point with some exceptions. But for us, the sickness is kind of like, no, you got to read it all. It's <laughs> not like you read volume two and like, yeah, you're good. Uh, but it will be collected. So the first five issues will be collected. Then the second five issues and then the last four um but the one of those last four issues is actually like an 80 page issue so it will end up being the size of the other volumes and then hopefully the book does well enough and there's enough interest that we would collect all of that in one omnibus uh, after yeah. it's all done ideally in like an oversized printing yeah, i was gonna ask what's that's the dream <laughs> Do you, I was going to ask if you picture, you know, the the big absolute size sitting there next to, you know, the 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 greats. Oh no, no, I mean, no, I just, I just like oversized books. I mean, <laughs> like, I'm I not, I'm not. Just... Oh sure, I'm not, I'm not like, you know, I'm not inserting myself in that in that tier of of, of greatness. I just, I just like oversized. I think the books. most we can hope for is a hardcover yeah. omnibus. The yeah. reality is probably that it will be a soft cover. Yeah, it'll probably be it'll probably be printed smaller. <laughs> we printed ourselves. Yeah. But, but but put it on on the shelf next to your absolute Sandman. You know, give it a <laughs> place. <laughs> the Hellraiser omnibus. Yeah. Or the sorry, not Hellraiser, Hellblazer. Yeah. Excuse me. <laughs> perfect <laughs> black hole hardcover right next to black hole that that, yeah. that feels yeah. thematically appropriate yeah 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 nice. yeah that would be nice yeah i'll get sad if we keep talking about this <laughs> <laughs> if we keep if we keep oh oh that. you know this book that book <laughs> i'm just gonna get sad yeah well we don't want that so so moving on oh um, sure <laughs> You know, Lonnie, your your bibliography has a lot of those those four or five issue miniseries and and arcs in it. You know, gi given the chance to tell this longer form story, did you kind of have to, you know, retrain your brain at all to allow yourself to be more decompressed compressed in the telling? Uh, that's a really good question. I I actually don't think I did too much because. Um, 
I actually find, well, I like the five issue format. I often find it quite limiting um, and having limitations is good. And like, I, I learned how to tell stories in a shorter format, which has made me a better writer. But I think, you know, anyone who's read Black Stars Above, like it's no secret that book is jammed <laughs> every page with imagery and text and it, you know it's a dense book which is partly the way I like to make things but it's also partly a product of my inability to let go of my uh, desire to tell maximalist stories and having 14 issues to spread that over I find it a much more natural way for what I from what my voice is uh, that sounds like really pretentious but uh, I just mean that in the sense of um, there's less compromises I have to make when I have that much room to spread it over and something that I, uh, you know, sometimes on a five issue book, you know, a scene is better if you spread it out over seven pages, but you've only got three to do it in. And I always feel like readers can, can feel that kind of um, tension in the, what ends up in the book and what is intention of the uh the creators uh but i don't feel like we've had to make those concessions in 14 issues um and in in addition to that you know like i the books i grew up reading are largely the vertigo books of the 80s and 90s mm -hmm. and there's not many of those that are these short runs and so that's kind of how i learned comic book storytelling was that long format uh, the maxi series um, and, and you know my favorite books are like we were just talking about black hole and from hell and providence and it's all these you know 12 issue books that took a long time to make uh, so I think that's just naturally where my career has been headed to and very thankfully we have an opportunity to, to tell this long story now um because I know that's something a lot of creators want, but don't get the opportunity to do unless you're, uh, you know, at a certain level on the totem pole. Mm -hmm. Our our relationship is uh, extremely, our working relationship is extremely unfortunate in that we, I want to do a lot and Lonnie wants to do a lot. So we basically <laughs> enable each other's um, inability to say no when we're <laughs> writing. Um, and that makes uh it makes the process a lot more fun but then when it comes to drawing it and i have to sit down and be mm. like oh shit i have to draw 13 more issues <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of daunting um but i'm also kind of like extremely naive in that 14 issues doesn't seem like that like that long to me like 14 issues seems like a pretty normal size story, like comic story, in my opinion. And the the five issue run, um, I wasn't I wasn't uh, aware that that's like the the normal the normal thing to do. <laughs> so when it came to the entertaining the idea of having to shorten the sickness, I was like, what? <laughs> Why would we do that? Like, I want to add more, if anything. <laughs> Lonnie, was there another series that you wanted more runway for and the publisher was just like, nope, five issues, that's what you got. Come at me with a sixth and I'll kill you. 
Not Lavelli, um, of course. All of them. Every book. Every single one of them, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, to be fair, like, you know, The Dregs was pitched as four issues. Um, and that book, I, I think, exists comfortably at four issues. Um, Come Into Me was very comfortable at five issues. It was more so the stuff after that. Um, Undone by Blood felt like it... it we got a first arc and a second arc that, that are separate but like the second arc was only four issues and that was a restriction from the publisher that zach and i like uh we fought we wanted five or six issues but four was all they could offer us um so of course we took it and we did what we could what we could with it but um yeah you know given the opportunity i'll always take an extra issue um uh, there's a, a new book i'm working on uh that was pitched as five issues and the publisher this is the first time this has ever happened to me the publisher emailed and said hey we hope this is okay we think this would actually work better as six issues and in addition to the extra issue we want to give you 32 pages of backups so like in total it's seven issues it's like are you okay with that and i was like am i okay with that like where do i sign the contract uh and uh, yeah, like I said, I think a lot of creators feel that the limitation of the miniseries um, and, and the miniseries is a new invention of the last, you know, decade that, that it's become popular. It's not the norm for comics history. Uh, and I think the only reason it is that way is, uh, you know, trends in the market, but also because it's easier to sell that as a television show or as a movie. Um, and there's an issue in the industry where a lot of publishers, you know, that's unfortunately how they stay afloat is selling IP to other mediums. And so it dictates what they publish. Um, and I think that's rather unfortunate and that I wish there were more publishers willing to take risks on the format and the size of, of series that they work on. Ben, at this point, how, where are you in the drawing process? Like how kind of far ahead are you versus publication? I am just starting issue three. I just finished the cover for issue three. Um, and we're, we're getting uh, at least, at least one variant per issue, um, which we, you know, we got that for issue three. Yeah. My, my process is, is unfortunately pretty slow. I have like kind of a, a I have like a, a the way I organize my my schedule and stuff, but um, I, I I have a very uh, I I've, I'm a very slow drawer, and um, the way I construct a page is very slow. Um, I change a lot of things like at the last minute. No matter how dense the script is, and no matter how specific the script is, it'll always be different by the time I go to to draw it. Um, I kind of I've kind of embraced that that slowness at this point. I go by I go by the Ed Piscor philosophy of a, a page takes as long it needs to take. And you know, obviously that that can't apply everywhere. Like, you know, deadlines are way, 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 way stricter than than uh than ours, like, you know, most of the time. But um I'm I'm extremely stubborn in that I can't really like I can't really stray from from that process of mine. So, you know, I don't, I don't know how, if that like translate, if that translates to the art, the amount of, you know, the stupid amount of hatching I put 
into the art and stuff like I think that that probably shows and and yeah it, it, if it looks like I I take a long time to draw my work it's because it, I do <laughs> so this book is in black and white what did you find uh, the benefits and the challenges of working that way yeah it's it's kind of interesting because when you're when I'm making a book without a colorist I kind of think about the the printing a lot more um if anything i think black and white is is pretty hard to pull off in terms of how it, the, how the end result will turn out it made it i kind of have to i have to think about um the density of the content in like a much stricter way because i can't i can't rely on um you know certain things to be filled in by a colorist or whatever and uh, it makes me think of the pages in terms of like, I, I like I, I reference a lot of photography, a lot of um, old black and white photography. And I've, I've always had a hard time using a lot of ink, a lot of like dense uh, filled in inks. Yeah, like spot blacks, yeah. So the benefit of having, of using a half tone, uh, like a, a gray like a gray wash kind of uh in the work um that kind of relieves some of that uh that lack of confidence i have with adding a lot of ink and i i don't know i personally think it complements the the like the story it's it's not like you know the the style of the book isn't very traditional i guess for lack of a better word but yeah i think i don't know i think it i think i think if it had color it wouldn't be the same I think it ha I think the book had to be in, in black and white to to achieve the the kind of tone we want and everything. What is what's a black and white comic more people should read that isn't Alan Moore and Eddie Campbell's from hell? <laughs> uh it's her favorite comic. Yeah. Um so Paul Kirchner is is one of my favorite artists, and my favorite book is called Murder by Remote Control the layouts in that book like just blow my fucking mind very very trippy just like just so it's just so different like i don't know it's just like the guy is like just the a design genius i mean there's also like i mean you just name like any manga <laughs> that, to, to recommend <laughs> people like blood on the tracks is amazing uh it's a really disturbing manga that uh came out um i think somewhat recently Oh my god! What else? Like, there's I'm so a, many. There's so much manga a, out there. Uh, I've really grown into a big fan of Al Colombia over the last few years. Like, I think a lot yeah. of people who read horror comics and his, um, yeah, the Biologic Show and him and Francie are both black and white. And mm. the Biologic Show is like a truly nightmarish read, and it wouldn't be if it wasn't in black and white. Um, and he like changes his style from chapter to chapter, going from like heavy inks yeah. to thin line work. And it's uh, yeah, just this fragmented, almost like mental read. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I wish more people would read that uh, selfishly because I want more Al Columbia books to be in print yeah. and there's not a lot of them in print anymore. Mm -hmm. um, but I just saw Fanographics is publishing his new book. So yes. That's yes. Oh my exciting. god! So excited! Yeah, I'm just trying to look at the other. Oh yeah, Sh Shintaro Kago mm -hmm. is another manga artist. Um, he did the variant for one of our covers, 
uh, for issue one. Fucked up shit. <laughs> like, fucked up art. <clears throat> but, but like, amazing. Like, just, like, his technical skills are amazing. Um, yeah. Just, like, yeah, I mean, just, like, you know, <laughs> if you do read them, then just, you know, be warned. The last book uh, I'll recommend that is a black and white book more people should read is also manga, but it's um, it was done in like a North American comics format, uh, like mm-hmm. monthly issue format. It's called 2001 Nights. Um, I forget the name of the mangaka who, who did it, but it's um, it's 12 issues meant to be a play on 2001 a Space Odyssey and uh, the, the uh, 1001 Arabian Nights. And it is... Uh, I read it for the first time a couple years ago, and it is now one of my top five favorite books of all time. Probably the best science fiction comic I've ever read. Uh, also, uh, completely out of print. Um, mm-hmm. I had to order. There was six of the issues I got off of eBay. The other six I could not find and had to download illegal fan translations of. <laughs> Um, and I, I think Viz still owns the rights to it. And I, I really hope they put out a collection soon because mm-hmm. it's like truly a shame that that book is not more wider read. Mm-hmm. All right, Matt, question to you now. Uh, favorite black and white comic that isn't Batman black and white? <laughs> Strangers in Paradise. Huh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I would, there's two other things that popped into my head immediately. One is definitely a, something of a cheat. Any of the Hunter Rose Grendel is black, white, and red. Oh, yeah. Those which are was well before Marvel and DC started doing all those things. Wagner's been doing black, white, and red for Grendel, the Hunter Rose stuff specifically, since the early 90s. And so not just the Wagner's drawn stuff, but he also had two mini series where he did vignettes and various incredible artists did all these vignettes of Hunter Rose's history and they always look stunning. And the other one, which is not a cheat, but is a book that at this point, everybody thinks of in color is Bones. Mm. Oh, yeah. As nice as the scholastic colored bones are. I mean, I read it much earlier when it was still a black and white book, and it has a real charm in that original black and white. Yeah, I only know that book in in black and white. Oh, really? Yeah, I know it in color. Oh, no. I don't. I I honestly, I honestly, I don't even think I've seen the color version of it. Track it down. Yeah. What about you, you, Dan? What's your favorite? Oh, I don't have a good answer for this one. I'm a Luddite. Uh-huh. Oh, oh, I see. <laughs> you don't get to ask yeah. everyone else and then read the question. <laughs> oh, boy. But uh, I did want to ask, uh, it, it's my understanding you guys were, were particular about like the kind of paper you wanted to use for this, uh, for this comic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think in general, um, obviously, Jenna and I care a lot about the craft of, of comics and we, we are believers in in the idea that the book that you hold is a part of the experience uh, uh, that contributes to the the tone and the mood and the story itself. Um, And, you know, our book is said in the the 40s, 50s, and 60s. And at that point, comics were 
printed on newsprint. Um, and so it didn't make sense for us. We couldn't justify printing this on like a gloss paper, mm-hmm. even though Jenna's work looks really good on gloss paper in this black and white style. The idea of it like felt wrong. And mm-hmm. it was actually our publisher, uh, Tom, who was like, who suggested printing it on like a thick newsprint. Um, and we were like, yeah, like that, that seems to make the most sense. Mm-hmm. Um, capturing both, you know, the era of which it's from that, like very toothy feel of the paper. Um, it doesn't feel, you know, the cover's obviously glossy. So like that part feels new, but when you're reading it, the hope is that it transports you in, in more ways than, than just the content of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, whether or not that actually like holds true for people reading it is like another story, but like, I, I have to believe these things have yeah. value. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> if anything, we saved a buck on printing, you know? Was, oh yeah. Was it cheaper? It to, was, yes. Yeah. But you know, so if anything, there's value in that no matter what. Yeah. <laughs> in the late seventies going into the eighties, you start getting presented with this like sanitized, nostalgic version of post-war America and stuff like, you know, you're back to the future and you're stand by me and you're Greece and you're a Christmas story. But, you know, this comic opens with in the 1940s with a bunch of kids who appear to be real pieces of shit, you know, to the point where <laughs> I wouldn't have been surprised if they had ordered steaks and dumped water all over them. Uh, <laughs> uh what oh, what made this the era that you wanted to explore the darker corners of? Um, well, like like I said earlier, I'm I've always been a a weird a weirdly huge fan of old movies, um, old music. I don't know where that. I think it's I think it's because my I was introduced to like Alfred Hitchcock when I was pretty young, um, and for some reason mm-hmm. like old mid-century movies just stuck with me in a in a weird way um when I was young I don't know why I think it's because um I won't like try to like psychoanalyze myself now but I think I have an idea so I think it's because older movies have this um this like veneer of appearing real but the way life is presented is so act it's like acted strangely it's it's kind of fabricated in a weird way even even if the films are trying to present um reality and or present um very real relatable themes um for some reason there's just some kind of disconnect there and uh i think maybe like as a kid i was like you know extremely anxious you know i uh, I was scared of everything. Like, you know, I had a hard time, you know, grappling with a lot of things as a kid. And so maybe, maybe, uh, older films just spoke to me because I like, you know, saw reality in a weirdly, um, kind of disconnected way too. I don't know, but you know, that's my guess. Um, so I've always had this like affinity for, for old movies, old, old TV, old fashion, old culture. And it came to a point in my life where I had to, um, confront the fact that all of my inspirations came from this horrific point in time. Um, a horrific point in time that as much as my education tried, I did not nearly learn the extent of it until I started re- researching things on my own. 
-hmm. which I'm, I'm still, you know, doing this to this day, like doing this book, I'm like learning just how bad, you know, things were back then. Um, so I think, so I think the sickness is kind of a, it's both a love letter and a hate letter to, to that time. Um, a love letter in that I undoubtedly have this, this part of me that owes a lot to, to old movies and, and old music. Um, and a, you know, a hatred for that period, you know, the way the country was, you know, the way every, everything, everything about it is like, it disgusts me. Um, and something I'm fascinated by is trying to understand the way society was back then um, outside of that veneer, the way that that time is presented um, in movies and in, in media, whatever. Um, it's mm -hmm. oddly hard to find uh, footage, to find, you know, text that like readily available stuff that really uh, touches on like the the hardships of daily life for people. Um, and I, and I, you know, I just want to be able to, I want to be able to, to, to know what that, what it was like. I want to know what, you know, what, what life really was like, you know, outside of the veneer. So um, that this comic is kind of a, an outlet for that in a way. Um, and I just love, I love the idea of, of like saying fuck you to that veneer and drawing like horrible disgusting hallucinations on top of um the nice pristine you know image that that is presented um and has been presented to us for so long of of that time of the greatest generation or whatever um it's kind of like you know having agency in a weird way over my relationship with history and you know stuff like that so yeah that was a lot of speaking um and a lot of and a lot of uh, self therapy, but <laughs> I hope there's an answer in there somewhere. <laughs> the the weird thing to think about is is kind of based on the timeline of when that like fifties nostalgia kicked in. Uh, we're we're due for sanitized nostalgia of post nine eleven America. Yeah, and yeah. I, I just can't see how that's possible. Like like kids are wearing Crocs again, and I have to be like. Some they weren't cool the first time. <laughs> Tell that you know, to this and that's, guy. Like, that's not even talking about the forever wars and the rampant Islamophobia. Yeah, yeah right. It's yeah. interesting. I think we've seen a lot of that um, already. Mm -hmm. Like we see, um, I don't want to sound like I'm old and like criticizing the younger generation, but like I guess I am old and criticizing the younger <laughs> yeah. generation. Just accept it, Grandpa. But yeah, we see. You know, even in fashion, and we see like the early 2000s emo pseudo goth look is becoming very popular again and bands like My Chemical Romance, uh, nothing against that music if that's what you're into, but it's, yeah, it's this um, sentimentality for a time that was actually like awful mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. people wearing these things without really the context of the situation mm -hmm, from which it mm -hmm, originated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and it's, I'm not saying it is like people shouldn't do that. It's more so I'm fascinated by how context gets lost so yeah. easily mm -hmm. uh, in favor of just like what looks cool or, or whatever, right? 
You say you say Y2K era. I say Freedom Fries era. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was just gonna say it's yeah, it's it's interesting because I um, I have this other story that I'm I'm writing, um, and it takes place in in 2016, and I'm not I I don't want to like you know ever really be so sure about what my stories are about until like they incubate a bit so I don't want to be so sure of myself uh of like you know oh this story is about this and then that like drives me to to direct that story this way um but I'm realizing like the story that I'm writing uh it it, it deals with a lot of like paranoia a lot of um social disconnect a lot of anger a lot of um angst a lot of uh I don't know, tension. And I'm realizing it's like, I don't want, I'm not, I don't want to call it a Trump era comic, but that's kind of what it is. Like that's, it was in 2016. That's like, that was like pervading the air, you know, like I, I can't, there's no denying that if you write a story in a certain era, like, you know, those, those things are going to come through um, whether like, you know, you're aware of it or not which I think is like great. Like, you know, I think that's like totally, you know, you should, you should like lean into that, but yeah, it's just interesting that like nostalgia, <laughs> like what's nostalgia going to look like for, you know, the, like fucking the Trump era, like what, what's, what's the fact, <laughs> like, are we going to, are we going to look back? I don't know. Like, I understand, like, you know, I understand is different for, for like younger generations to, to take on the the trends of a certain era, but I really curious, like the the more it the more it it like you know goes on, the more it grows. I'm I'm curious just the, how it the looks. Way of history. You know? Yeah, especially seeing that that first scene, you're you're writing characters who are using language that does not fly <laughs> anymore at all. And when you're writing a period piece, how do you deal with writing that kind of objectionable language? Because you don't want to whitewash it, but at the same time, there's something about giving voice to those kind of words that also must kind of feel internally kind of icky. Yeah, it's, um, it's a question I get a lot. And, and I, I, I talk to writing classes and stuff, and I find more and more the question comes up from young writers of like, how do I, how do I approach, especially if you're writing historical stuff, like wanting to maintain an authenticity to the era while also showing that I don't hold those same beliefs as a writer. And I think um, creators obviously need to be careful, but they also need to be a, a little bit more kind to themselves and have this understanding that what the characters say is not what you as a writer are saying. Um, and I believe if we don't show things as they were at the time, then we we really risk getting into, like I was talking about before, with just sentimentality for the sake of sentimentality or or glossing over things and not representing things as, as they were. And especially in the context of the sickness where um, a big part of the book is exploring how awful mid-century America was to not present that kind of language in the way that 
kids probably spoke back then would be a complete betrayal of everything Mm -hmm. we're trying to do with Mm -hmm. the book. Um, And, you know, I I think (laughs) if you look at my body of work, I, I think I have a general tendency to begin first issues with uh, somewhat transgressive or what could be seen as transgressive <laughs> scenes. Um, and, you know, my goal, uh, like our goal with that scene wasn't to like shock people. Mm-hmm. It's just like, that's kind of what naturally came out as we were doing research about like, you know, how people spoke back then and what mm-hmm. teenage life was like. Um, so it just kind of felt right but also fit within the context of like Daniel's experience within that scene Mm -hmm. Uh, having all of his shithead friends around him saying these shithead things to each other Mm -hmm. um if anything I think we're pulling punches like yeah I hate I hate media that whitewashes uh certain areas I I hate that I think it's a total disservice to your partaking in an art form if you don't represent certain eras or any era fucking any era you know exactly the way it should be represented you know yeah i think it had like especially especially the 50s and you know the 40s 50s 60s like if you don't talk about nuclear war if you don't talk about civil rights then like you're not you're not doing it right yeah i i Sorry, we're answering this question like yeah. really long-winded, but um, I also like someone I, I think who, without talking about ourselves, someone I think does a good example of, of this outside of Alan Moore is um, uh, Robert Eggers in his movies, uh, The Lighthouse and um, in The Northman. Um, it's no secret that like Viking and Norse mythology and imagery and, and like legend has been uh, co-opted recently by white supremacist groups. Mm-hmm. And I, I think in the Northman, Robert Eggers did an amazing job of presenting what Viking life was actually like uh, in its cold calculated brutality and that these are not people we should strive to be. Mm-hmm. Um and that approach to historical fiction is something that really resonates with me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just trying to be true to it while telling that, while working in that period from a, a contemporary lens. Mm-hmm. I think if, as long as your themes aren't representative of the things the characters are saying, then yeah, sure. hopefully you're doing okay. Yeah. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the first time that you worked together on black stars above, because looking at the sickness, you know, I can't help but go back to that book and see how in sync it, it feels to me reading it like you two were right out of the gate. Yeah. Oh man. I mean, when we first started black stars above, yeah, we, we jived really quickly. Um, Before, before I went into drawing it, um, Lonnie and I talked a lot about, the tone, the imagery, what sources he was drawing from in terms of like historical texts and uh, reference imagery and mm-hmm. stuff. We like, you know, we ta- we communicated like crazy on that book before it even started, I started drawing it. And in that, you know, communication, we realized uh, 
we both share a lot of the interests and a lot of the same uh, a lot of the same influences and in, in the similar uh, processes in which we research and write and you know think of think of our work. And then five months later, I moved to Vancouver, and then five months later, we got married. Um, so. <laughs> Not saying that that's required of, of all of you if you if you you know find a collaborator you like, but so yeah, like when it came to the sickness, it was basically the same thing. Like we we it was like almost a really similar process. Yeah, like we it's not to say we agree on absolutely everything oh, no creatively, way. but we do share a very similar mindset and and approach to our work. And I think finding that is, is rare, but it you see it in comics with a lot of people like you know, Brubaker and Sean Phillips are perhaps the like, you know, epitome of, of that yeah. example. The other power couple in comments. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it's also like the way I scripted Black Stars Above, uh, the scripts were very dense and very directed. And thankfully, Jenna, um, like, took to the, that script. I like being um, told what to do, <laughs> uh, except when I don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's so, so I think it was easier for the vision, my vision to come through because Jenna shared that vision and yeah, I agree. I think the book feels quite cohesive. Um, and especially that first issue, you kind of, it's, it's like very clear. We were on the same page from the start. Uh, and yeah, mostly I'm just grateful that mm -hmm. I found a collaborator who can, who just works yeah. on that same wavelength. And uh, just a quick shout out. We also so jived so quickly with Brad, uh, Brad Simpson, the colorist for Black Stars Above. Um, same, same kind of thing. And we, we, we jived extremely well with Hassan, yeah. um, who is lettering the sickness. Um, that guy, like... God, it. God bless him. He gets it. Yeah. Yeah. There, <laughs> there's no other letter that we want to work with. Um, you know, after we saw how he brought Black Stars Above to a, a whole other level. So. Yeah. yeah. Again, with Hassan, like instantly, um, as soon as he sent like his first pass of lettering back, like, yep. it was like, there's the book, yeah. like, no changes. Like you got the font, you got the boxes exactly right. It doesn't look like anything else on the fucking shelves, mm -hmm. but it fits perfectly on top of uh, and in line with Jenna's art mm -hmm. uh, and on top of Brad's colors. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we, we owe Hassan so many drinks. Um, we put him through the fucking ringer, like yeah. with so many pedantic changes to our stupid fucking shit like it's just so many things we want to we want to we want to tweak and he just he just bangs them out and, and we're like god too. thank you <laughs> thank yeah. you Hassan there were so many times on black stars above where we would like get a colored page back from Brad <laughs> and I would say can you make the book more red <laughs> and he would be like okay and he would send it back I'd say no more red <laughs> And he'd be like, I did make it more red. And I was like, no, more red. And he was like, it won't match with the rest of the, the saturation. And I was like, I know, yeah. more red. Make it look bad, Brad. <laughs> We're telling you to fuck that book up. Uh, and, and, you know, both of both Brad and Hassan are, are people with uh, saintly patience. Yeah, yeah. And uh, for better or worse, I, I'm like fairly... 
I don't want to say controlling. It's just like I know what I want in, mm -hmm. in, very, in specific instances. It, it's I didn't say more red because I just like for the sake of it. It was yeah. very specific uh, recurring imagery throughout the book. Um, and, and yeah, thankfully they just are like, okay, Lonnie's doing his <laughs> thing again. Like, here you go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I, I did want to ask about, about Haas specifically, because I mean, obviously you two share a lot of similar sensibilities when it comes to horror, but was there like ever a time when Haas comes back at you and it's like, what the fuck did I just let her? No, no. Yeah, no, he's not really like, like, thankfully he's, he's not a, like, you know, putting us on a, on a list or anything. No, he, <laughs> he, the first thing he said, I think when he, when we gave him the art and gave him the script, he was just like, this is so you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> and it's like, thanks. He was like, you know, you you guys have achieved the peak, Lonnie and Jenna, <laughs> for better or worse. For better or worse, yeah. Um, and he understands exactly the kind of books we want to yeah, make. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, a lot of the lettering decisions that like truly augment the book were were All Hassan's him. decisions. Yeah, um, seriously. Like in that first sequence where the, uh, or the or the speech uh, bubbles are are behind the glass and behind the goo, that, that wasn't a script mm -hmm. note. Hassan just instinctually did yeah. those things yeah. and understood that that fit exactly with the themes of that scene. Yeah. So yeah. his uh, his ability to understand craft and the the formalism of comics is, I, I would say, like better than the vast majority of, yes. of creators. Yes, he is an artist. Letters letters are an art. Yeah. Lettering is an art form and he is a masterful artist. Jenna, as an artist, uh, how, how do you feel like your, your style or, or technique has changed since, since Black Stars Above nearly four years ago? Oh man, I don't know. Um, I don't, I don't know. Um, that's it's it's so I don't think about I don't really think about my my style that much in that way like I don't I don't like keep tabs on on the way it's changing um, and stuff. Uh, I definitely drew faster when I was doing Black Stars Above, <laughs> and and I had like a better schedule. I draw a lot slower now. Um, I think. I know I mentioned this. I know I, 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 I'm kind of contradicting myself here. I mentioned earlier that I, I'm afraid to use a lot of um, black spotting. I think I was more afraid to do that with black stars above than I was with the sickness. Um, it's weird. It's like, it's so, this is like a non-issue for most, for most artists. So, so me talking about it is a little like uh, trivial, but the, the fear associated with, putting more on the page is uh, is very real. Like I, you know, I went to art school and uh, I, I, I took, I have a comic, a degree in comic art. And <laughs> it's like, that's not my point. It's like, I, I was taught about, I had a whole uh, unit on, on black spotting and stuff and how it's like a necessary, um, very design conscious uh, element of, of making pages. And for some reason, God damn it! I just never, I was never able to 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 grapple with it. Um, I think the fear I felt with the things I wanted to do with Black Stars Above um, kind of carried over to the sickness, 
And I think the mentality of having more freedom with the sickness and that it's like, it's my book. It's, it's something that I, that I like cherish. Mm-hmm. Um, you'd think that I'd want to like achieve more uh, with, with that. And I'd push through the fear, but in a weird way, I, I'm even more scared um, to do, to do wilder things and stuff. Um, so I can't exactly, this is like a long winded way of me saying, I can't exactly pinpoint um, what has changed about my work uh, between boxers above and the sickness, but I can say that I both have a lot of the similar fears that I feel like I'm pushing through in some ways and, and holding back in a lot. But the good thing is that since this is 14 issues, that'll be a completely different story by the end of it. And then the, the first issue is going to look completely different from the last. Once and you're I, rushing through issue five. But I, but I am, <laughs> I am fully, um, I love that. I love it when an artist has like a completely different style by, by the end of the book. I think that's cool. It happens with uh, like Everyone. almost every, yeah, <laughs> like every single great book. Yeah. So. Who are, who are some of the artists that, that are kind of the ones that you look up to? Um, well, I mentioned uh, Paul Kirchner already. Mm-hmm. Um, oh God, do I say Junji? Yeah. Junji Ito is, is a huge influence. Um, Bernie Wrightson uh, was a, a huge influence when I was um, in school. Barry Windsor Smith recently, uh, I started really, I started looking at his work a lot. Not on, off the top of my head for some reason. Um, this is the one question that I should be able to answer, but I can't. So I apologize. No. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you an amazing answer at the last minute of 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 this podcast. How about that? <laughs> I look forward to that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then our uh, our grand Twitter inquisitor Asimov fangirl asked, "What is more horrifying, drawing modern cars or drawing cars from the 1940s and 50s?" Oh my god! Um, old old cars are like really round and have like a bunch of kind of like interweaving curves and and shit like that. So having to like having to understand the perspective. Of, of old cars while looking at all like the weird curves and shit is, is really hard. With a modern car, it's like a box. You just draw a box and you do the perspective, but an old car, yeah, they're, they're shaped like, like, like a bunch of like jelly beans stuck together. And I can't, I can't draw circles in perspective. I can't draw spheres in perspective. So old cars are definitely harder. I hate drawing cars and there's, and God damn it. There's, there's a, a lot, lot of cars <laughs> in, in the, <laughs> the 50s so uh you mentioned you mentioned one of the variant covers uh earlier but i was kind of curious you know what was i guess the the philosophy for doing variants for this series you know were you kind of just casting around to like different friends hey you know we're doing this thing would you want to do a cover like how did that kind of work out this time around yeah yeah it's um it's something we we put a lot of thought into and we even talked to james tynan about it because he's like you know, a, a master at that side of comics in terms of like promoting and getting big artists on for variants. And like, we really look up to him. And so we asked him what he thought would be like the best approach. And his advice to us was twofold. It was, well, one, just like get the people you want. And two, this book is not really made for the average Wednesday warrior crowd. Um, 
And so maybe you want like one cover that appeals to that group, but generally you're trying to appeal to like a broader horror audience, um, specifically one who likes weird, slow burning black and white stuff, which is a fairly limited audience. Um, and so from there, we just, Jen and I kind of made a list of like, here's our ideal people who we'd want to work with. And uh, I reached out to like people I have no business reaching out to. Uh, and most of them either didn't answer or very kindly declined. But the um, two that I wanted the, the most were Sam Wolf Connolly. Like I, I loved Sam Wolf Connolly's art. Uh, not even his, his like comics covers, just his art I've loved for over a decade. I have two pieces of his on my wall and I know he did comic covers and I love the ones he did for the like DC Joe Hill stuff. So I reached out to him and he was like, yep, I'll do it. Uh, here's my rate. And I was like, okay, <laughs> great. And then uh, we... I was like, fuck it. I'm going to email Shintaro Kago and see if he'll do a cover. And he got back like a day later. Yeah, and was yeah. just like, yes, I'll do it. Yeah, very nice. <laughs> yes. Uh, and his took the longest to get. It's um, worth it. But yeah, we're so happy with that cover. Yeah. We even bought the original mm -hmm. piece that yeah. he, he drew. Um, so we have to get that framed. Yeah. And then, yeah, the last variant for issue one, other than your second variant, was Trevor Henderson's. And, and Trevor's a, a friend of ours who, you know, he's got a huge following on social media. But also, I feel like he's kind of, he would never admit this, but he is, I think, paving the way for the aesthetic of horror for a new generation. Uh, that, like, very... Uh, like creepy digital analog analog horror that I, you know I'm not sure he invented but he's certainly one of the pioneers of it um and it just felt right and interesting to have someone who was at this like cutting edge of horror imagery to tackle something that was dealing with horror imagery from mid-century mm -hmm. um and you know trevor is like the nicest guy in the world so of course he he said yes uh, and yeah Knocked all it out of the, the park yeah all of the variants are you know yeah, some incredible. of my favorite ones that i've ever had on a book mm -hmm. uh, and then we have one for issue two that is also just really exciting incredible and we just got one for issue three just oh god <laughs> and uh, someone just agreed to do issue four that we're yeah we're, we're really excited about yeah. all of them yeah we're Hey, if anyone, do you have Junji Ito's email? Because we love, you know, like, why don't we just take that shot? We, you know, you miss all the shots yeah. you don't take. You have to pay Viz like $500 million. Oh, sure. Yeah. To, like, that, I mean, yeah. Comes out of Tom's pocket. It's too busy forcing him to do YouTube videos. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. Videos of him dabbing. <laughs> <laughs> have you tried Junji underscore Ito at Gmail yet? <laughs> just yeah. to see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> ah boy but uh finally just in this whole experience of of making this comic you know what is what is one way making the sickness has been different from other projects that you've worked on i i really think uh this comic for lonnie and i um hopefully for hassan too is is really an outlet for us to achieve 
everything we want to achieve with comics in terms of craft, in terms of storytelling. Um, it, it's become, it's become this, uh, this canvas for us to really like put, put ourselves into it. Um, in, in a, in a many, in many different ways, you know, not just horror, you know, not just one thing or another, but, um, in, in many ways. And for me too, it's, it's been an extremely amazing learning experience. Um, you know, when, when Lonnie and I write, we literally just sit on the couch together and for a whole day, we'll like, you know, just go back and forth, um, you know, down the script and, like I, I don't have a. I'm not a. I'm. I am quote unquote not a writer, um, but I want to be. So, uh, to be able to learn about formalism, you know, by the formalism guy is, you know, extremely. I'm extremely lucky. Ruining, um, tainting Jenna's brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's giving me the, <laughs> the Alan Moore special of uh, caring about every detail about the fucking <laughs> book. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, you know, it, yeah, it's just been, it's been a huge, uh, a huge creative outlet for us above anything else, I think. Yeah, I think I, I was fortunate enough to have, uh, you know, comics published pretty early in my career. And I, I look back very, very fondly on them, but at the same time, some of them I look at, uh, and, can't help but feel like I hadn't really found my voice yet. Uh, I'm in there, you know, they're all made by me and Zach and my collaborators and all of us are in there. But um, I think Black Stars Above was kind of the first taste and realization of what my actual voice going forward would be. And I think the sickness is kind of just the next version of that where we really feel like, it's like Hassan said, like this book is us. It's very purely the kind of book exactly that we want to make and you know whether or not that resonates with people is is another story but I, I'm incredibly proud of the fact that we are putting on the page uh, with almost no compromise mm -hmm. exactly what we would want to see and what we would want to read as a comic mm -hmm. so uh as we kind of wind on wind down here you know other other things that either of you has coming up that you want to quickly promote or that you can talk about? Um, sure. I mean, I'm, I'm writing on a video game. Uh, I've been working on that for like the last year and a bit called Nightingale. It's supposed to release in early access in September. So that will be my first uh, shipped video game project. That's pretty exciting. Uh, in terms of comics, I have a book, um, it was announced last year and then delayed and now it'll be re-announced soon. Um, <laughs> but that's uh, a book for IDW with Matthew Arman and uh, uh, the artist and, and colorist will be announced soon. Um, it's called Golgotha Motor Mountain and it is yeah. unlike anything I've ever done. <laughs> that sounds like a magic card. It, yeah, it's <laughs> like uh, the way we describe it is... Um, uh, Mad Max Fury Road meets Gummo. <laughs> so it's, wow. it's a really bizarre book. Um, and yeah, I've got a graphic novel that's uh, the publisher's unannounced, but I'm working on that with Anwita Citria, and it's a, a modern 
Southern Gothic ghost story that hopefully will be announced soon. Uh, and a couple other exciting things I can't talk about yet. Oh, I should also mention, I'm, I have a story in the uh, Stardust anthology that's currently being crowdfunded on Zoop that has like an insane list of creators mm -hmm. that I feel I have no right being alongside, like Mike Allred and <laughs> Jay Baruchel and yeah. like, yeah, just all these amazing people. Um, yeah, so that one's really exciting also. Mm -hmm. um, I uh, was part of this uh, body horror anthology called Viscera, um, which is run by Katie Skelly. And it's the inaugural um, anthology for her new imprint called Spraga Sporka. Um, and uh, my short, it was the first, the first comic public, it'll be the first published comic that I wrote, Andrew, by myself. It's, it's very similar to the sickness in that it takes place in the, in the fifties and it uh, revolves around a, a very distressed housewife <laughs> and then some, you know, silly things happen. Um, but the, the other lineup of artists is just incredible. So um, I believe the Kickstarter is, uh, has since uh, finished, but that, should come out um, in October of this year. Also, <laughs> Suahiro Maruo, Nell Brinkley, um, uh, uh, Al Parker, who's a painter. Um, Robert Lawson is also a painter. Um, so I okay. So I specifically want to bring up Suahiro Maruo because um, he is. He, he's one of my biggest inspirations and he was an ins a huge, huge inspiration for the illustration that I did for um, the sickness, uh, like incentive, like subscription the incentive, the poster. Yeah, I did a poster um, for the sickness. It's the most Maro thing. It's like blatantly, if you like Maro, it's like, I'm basically like plagiarizing the guy. That's all I wanted to bring up. I love Maro. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, love that you made good on that promise to remember at the last. Yeah, I, I was, I was just like, oh <laughs> shit, I gotta. Who's, who else do I love? Oh yeah, this one guy who I obviously love. Uh, penultimate question: uh, What are you reading right now? Oddly enough, we're both reading Michael Moorcock books. Yeah, yeah, we are. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm reading the Eternal Champion series. Yeah, I'm reading. I'm reading the first um, Elric book. Yeah. yeah, we're we're both uh, recently have have like become pretty big dark fantasy fans. Yeah, we're in our we're in our, our new phase. Um, and like so recently <laughs> discovered Michael pre, Moorcock pre pre midlife crisis. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. Michael Moorcock and Gene Wolfe and and those kind of writers from you know sixties seventies eighties who mm -hmm. were pioneered dark fantasy and like. I feel like my brain is just breaking every time I read yeah. this stuff. Dude, Elric is so fucking good. It's like every single page is me realizing that this video game or this comic or this other fantasy book like got it from from Elric. And it's always like it's always like really weirdly specific things that I'm sure are not like, you know, tropes in Mid mythical medieval Finnish, you know, folklore or anything. I think it's yeah. just Michael Moorcock being a fucking drug-addled weirdo. <laughs> uh, I'm also, this is really random, but I, I'm reading the 
world building bible for RuneQuest, hmm. which is a an old ttrpg that i've never played and i don't really care to play it but i love the world <laughs> that it is set in uh so yeah i've been reading that and it's like the depth of their lore is uh, incredible really amazing is that yeah. the one that miyazaki read yeah it was an in influence on uh miyazaki uh for like the dark souls and bloodborne games and, and elden ring and so i picked it up and, and yeah it's, it's really good stuff um dana i'm sure you were probably really wondering what comics we're reading <laughs> No, no, no. Uh, this, this is well. This is the stuff I'm I'm interested in anyway. Oh, <laughs> yeah, okay. I, was say. <laughs> I just read. At least what you got one person interested. Well, no. Have you guys tried any Zelazny? I actually have never read oh. Roger Zelazny. Yeah. It's not yeah. dark fantasy, but it is that same sort. It can be that same sort of weird, heady, trippy '70s stuff. The Chronicles of Amber. Specific. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. I sure. have friends yeah, yeah, who yeah. swear by the Amber books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't the that isn't five. that one also? Sorry, go ahead. The first five. Okay, is the that one also? I could be wrong, but it's like very heavily Finnish mythology inspired, it's, or is it more like? It's all over the place because okay. there <laughs> is, I mean the character's name like Oberon and Merlin and such like that but yeah. it's not that Arthurian or right it's it's a lot of multiverse before the multiverse was a big thing yeah and right it's one of these things where it's a shame because I have this feeling like it was supposed to be three five book cycles and Zelazny passed after the second cycle mm -hmm. Because the second five books ends at a point where it's like, well, there's clearly more story here and it is never resolved. Mm. But the first five wrap fairly satisfac satisfactorily. That's a word. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I'll have to pick stuff. it up. Yeah. I remember seeing the collection in bookstores. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Big yeah. fucking door oh, stopper. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, you can kill someone. I guess some of the Elric yeah. books. But... Oh, yeah, mm -hmm. right. I, I, I remember sitting and attempting to read it in Love Park in Philadelphia after buying it at a Borders. <laughs> ah, Borders. And like, yeah. no, no, this is this is something you need to have set on something because you, you can't hold it open proper. You, yeah, you a, I feel you need like a dais or a lectern <laughs> and then one right, of those yeah. like cloth ribbons. Yeah, yeah. It's it's way less cool to read Elric on an iPad. But that's the only way I can read it <laughs> without hurting my arms. Yeah. In terms of comics, I actually just read, I forget the name of it. It's the Brubaker book that he did, not with Sean Phillips. That Friday? was kind of like a YA. Yeah, Friday. That's it. Um, I just read the first volume of that. And I, it was honestly probably one of my favorite Brubaker books that I've read. Mm -hmm. Uh and, and I'm like a pretty big fan of his work. Yeah, I don't. Um, what's the last? The, so the last comic I read was um, a new Gabrielle Bell book, which was uh, published by Uncivilized. It's called Career Shoplifter, um, and it's it's like a series of autobio um, uh, comics where she spent time. She spent a lot of time in cafes, um, drawing people around her. 
and she kind of uh, documents like the the events around um, being in all those like you know New York cafes drawing drawing people like like sneakily drawing people. Um, I fucking love Gabrielle Bell. Like the, her, she's she's one of the the artists who, who makes me want to draw um, comics for myself. Like she makes me want to draw comics and print my own comics and staple my own comics and just like have them in my hand. I can't recommend her enough to to both artists, artists and you know writers and readers. Yeah. Right on. Well, uh, Jenna, Lonnie, this has been a fantastic time. Final question as we release you back into the world. Uh, how can people follow you online and keep up with the sickness and everything else that you're working on? Uh, my advice is don't follow me online. But <laughs> Why? Why not? You want to. You're not a you're not a, a shit disturber. You're not like a contentious <laughs> figure or anything. You're you're one of the good ones. You're one of the like yes. quiet ones. Uh, yeah, my socials on uh, Twitter and Instagram are are just at Lonnie Nadler. My uh, Twitter is is kale k a l e kale underscore Satan. <laughs> which i'm i'm never gonna change that like i've fucking i've dug my grave with that thing and then my instagram is oh my god jangling dot jack j-a-n-g-l-i-n-g period j-a-c-k why I, would you make them the same because i made them like 10 years ago both <laughs> and i was like i'm never gonna use these i'm never gonna be anybody nobody's ever gonna follow me <laughs> so I changed whatever mine. mine used to be uh at lawn underscore I know monster. I know but then if I change if I change it it's like just gonna be confusing and and you know it's already on all my all my shit so I'm kale satan until I'm 65 <laughs> years old and then I die so yeah you gotta respect the people who keep their AOL instant messenger name <laughs> yeah yeah exactly <laughs> Lonnie still uses his Hotmail account for Steam. Yeah. Doesn't remember his password. That's true. <laughs> I I used sbcglobal.net. That was my first email. I don't even know what that is. Really? Oh, well, it's very exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. Uh, Jenna, Lonnie, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks, thanks Matt Thanks Dan. so much. Really yeah, it. yeah, this was really fun. Thanks a lot. That's it for this week's show. As a reminder, WMQ&A is part of Comics XF, where you can find this podcast, along with our sister podcasts, Battle of the Atom, and Bat Chat with Matt and Will, a Batman ranking podcast co-hosted by Matt Lazowitz and our bud Will Nevin. You can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Audible, and at ComicsXF.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQ&A at Patreon.com slash WMQComics, where a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes, shout-outs on the podcast, and a free comic in the mail for my collection. A $2 donation gets you a Pete Wisdom Hot Claw sticker designed by Kevin Newburn. A $3 donation gets you access to our bonus podcast, Our Son Pete, a deep dive into the appearances of British mutant super spy Pete Wisdom. A $4 donation gets you access to Our Son Pete and the sticker. A $25 donation lets you plug your crowdfunded or creator-owned comic in a 60-second spot and a $50 donation lets you advertise on the show. Big thanks to our patrons, Charlie Davis, Robert Secundus, Liz Large, and Will Nevin from Comics XF, Carla Pacheco, Mike Sagawa, 
and Azabal Fangirl, aka the Loyalist Content Consumer. You can follow WMQ&A on Twitter at WMQ Comics, me at Daniel P. Grote, Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013, and ComicsXF at ComicsXF, assuming Twitter still works. And until next week, remember, somewhere out there, there's a Batman comic where all the characters simply cannot stop saying the word boner. W-N-Q-A. W-N-Q-A.